Well, Father, we do thank you for truth. And Lord, we need your help because in, in and of ourselves, we are nothing. Lord, we know that. I know that. But Lord, you do. You, you are all in all. You are truth. You are life. You are joy. You are peace. You are everything. And so, Lord, we, we put ourselves on your mercy and in your care tonight. Lead us and guide us into all truth. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So we're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And uh, in chapter 1, Paul begins talking about uh, his ministry, and he's talking about his love for them, his, his desire for them to know the truth. Thessalonians was a, a uh, book of gratitude, of excitement, because why? What had, what had, what had happened? They stood strong in their faith when they were confronted. Mm-hmm. You know, tried, and when they had um, when trouble came, and you know, and they tried to make trouble for the church. They <coughs> Amen. And uh, how did how did Paul hear about this? Because he's in prison. How does he hear about it, though? Email. Email. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it was a Twitter post. You know, <laughs> somebody was telling me about a a Twitter uh, joke that they had seen somewhere. Uh, the ultimate Twitter was uh, it's from God. And it says, well, got up this morning. I was awesome. And then I, I can't remember how it was. I butchered it. <laughs> Never mind. All right. That's what happens when you try to tell God jokes. It never plays out the way you want. Um, the way he found out was Timothy and Silas had come and uh, gave a report that they had just come from the church. The church was doing awesome. And Paul's excited, so he writes this letter, shoots this letter off to him. Now he does, so, so the whole first chapter is about him going on and on and on about how great they are, how awesome they've been, how, how they've they stood against the trials, how their how they're, uh, uh, standing is one, their, their love for each other is, is uh, it was manifest. You know, not only could Paul, or could uh, Timothy and Silas notice it, but the people in the community notice it and, and that was the report was that the Thessalonians that, that people around the Thessalonian church were recognizing the love of God and that it was also drawing other people so that's the whole first chapter um, and it's 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 an exciting chapter in chapter two Paul begins to uh, defend himself for lack of a better term. He defends himself. Now, he, he's not defending himself necessarily to them, but he, he knows they're hearing stuff. They're hearing rumors. Now, remember when how Paul ended up in Thessalonia, or Thessalonica, was he had uh, uh, come into town, and he had been run off by a mob. Remember, the he had preached for about three weeks, and he had good success. The, a church started. Uh, better success than he thought, because not only did a church start, but a good church started. Um, but this this mob had run him out of town, and then he had gone to Berea. Same thing happened. That same mob, the same group of people, came to Berea. They they start uh, telling rumors. They they stir up a crowd. They start another riot. They run him out of Berea. He went from there onto um, Athens. Um, and in Athens, he he had mediocre success. That's where he preached the the uh, the sermon on uh, the uh, the God, the unknown God. 
and had some success, but not great success. So he's he's kind of on a you know he you know remember we had said that he was on you know probably could have been in a funk. You know things weren't going the way he wanted it to. Things weren't having. He wasn't having the success that he had hoped for, and he had. Um, this was this this report from Timothy and and Silas was a huge boost. It was a huge uh, boost to his to his ministry, a huge boost to him personally. And so um, I can't remember why I just got into that. What was I saying? Because anybody remember? Because the letter then gave him good spirits because he heard about it. Right. And so in chapter two, he's he goes and starts talking about these guys who have been running him out because now they've gone back to Thessalonica. And they're starting to, to spread rumors about him, about them, and trying to mess up the church. And he's and he's trying to encourage them. So here we are um, in chapter 2. He is starting to defend the ministry. Verse 1. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare you the gospel of God in declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. So here's where he begins to, to defend his ministry. Um, it wasn't because Paul was insecure. You know, he's not going, oh, come on, guys, you know, don't, don't, don't fail me now. Don't, don't uh, turn on me now. Remember, I'm a pretty good guy. It's not what he's saying. What he's saying is he's, he's giving them some talking points that when other people come to him, um, and come to the church and say, oh yeah, that Paul, you know, and we're, we're going to get into it. There was something that was happening culturally there that was, that was feeding this. And we'll get to that in just a moment. Um, but he's not defending himself to them. He's giving them talking points so that when they get approached by these other folks, they can go, no, that's not the way Paul is. That, you, we know when Paul was here, he was, he was an up and up guy. Okay. So, so um, he's not insecure. He he is um, he has the enemies who are trying to discredit him in his absence. We we see that in Acts chapter seventeen. Can somebody turn to Acts chapter seventeen, verses five and six? And can you read that? Somebody want to read that for me real quick? It's just two verses, and actually, there's a third verse, and we'll get to that in just a second. Acts seventeen five and six. But the Jews who were not persuaded, becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace and gathering a mob, set all the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. And then verse 13. 13. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was preached by Paul at Berea, they came there also and stirred up the crowds. Right, and so these enemies had had uh, had said were were saying that he left town because he was a self serving coward. He wasn't, you know, he wasn't going to stick with them uh, through the long run. He was just there um, because of some things that were happening culturally, and we'll get to that. I don't want to get ahead of myself, um, and but I want because we'll read a verse where it talks about that, um, but. It says in here in the letter in verse two he says though we had already suffered and been shamefully, shamefully treated at Philippi as you know we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict so in the midst of it he's preaching 
and he's preaching the gospel. He's not he's not being a self serving coward. He is being bold in it. So the revel, the revel, the self revelation is not being made because the Thessalonian believers were suspicious or doubtful of the, of Paul and his his comrades. Paul is answering the insidious attacks being made upon him by these guys by by this this mob. Um, that were from outside the church because they hated him. So he's he's giving them those talking points. Hey guys, I wasn't being a coward. Let people know. I you know you you know you saw it. I was I was preaching God. I was preaching the gospel with boldness, and these guys came uh, violently. Okay, so Paul wrote here in a personal matter. Uh, this is. But this is really wasn't a personal issue for Paul. He knew that it was a matter of the sake of the gospel. He didn't care what people thought of him as an individual. He just knew that if these guys could get a foothold and and could start stirring up problems uh, with you know for the church, that it would hamper the gospel. And and the most important thing is the gospel. When someone makes an accusation against a ministry. Um, Yes, it may be a, it may be an individual personal attack, but the problem with that is is that in the bigger sense of it, it it discredits the gospel, and people can be uh, can be forever scarred or forever branded uh, in a bad way. I remember back in if, if you were a believer back in the eighties, uh, the middle eighties, when the Jim Baker thing happened, and uh, I mean it was horrible. I mean you know, it, it, when. You know, the accusations came out that he was sleeping with was it Jennifer Flowers? Is that what? No, that was that was Clinton. That was Clinton. Yes, so many. You know, uh, Jessica Hahn, if I remember right now. So, um, but that he had been sleeping with the secretary and so on and so forth. And then there was all oh, no, we didn't do it. And then it came out that it was true. There were people who had witnessed it. Well, immediately the the evangelical church was set on its ear. We were in trouble. The church as a whole was was vulnerable. And then I know personally of a, of a ministry who no longer exists because an, one accusation was made. And this was a good brother. This was a guy, and I know him, and he did not do. Because it wasn't just that he was that, uh, what's his name, uh, uh, Baker was, was uh, caught in infidelity, but they also accused him, rightfully, for uh, bilking the people out of money. He did do it. He, you know, what he did, maybe that wasn't his intention, but that's what he did. People, people were scammed and the scam did not last. And so money, the, the, how people handled money was under scrutiny. And I have a very good friend who, uh, um, one person, one person made an unfounded accusation, you know, and, and in, in the discussion about what to do about it, we number of us said the word says to, to you know there needs to be a witness of two or more people for this to be you know for this to be carried out and for him to lose his job then because they they accused him of mishandling funds and the fact is one person made an accusation it was an unfounded accusation but because everybody was so gun shy they removed him from his position and he still to this day he's not in ministry so it is a you know what Paul is trying to do here is go wait a second guys I don't care what you do to me this is about the gospel this is about the gospel being preached and, and we can't let these guys make these unfounded accusations so Paul isn't defending himself like uh, you know oh I need my character you know my 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 uh, you know for my own 
benefit, I need to be justified. No, he was standing up for the gospel. And if he hadn't, the church in Thessalonica probably would not have lasted. It wouldn't have existed beyond uh, this letter, beyond this time. Okay, Verse 3. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. So he's laying out the 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 uh, uh, talking points very quickly. I didn't. I'm not in error. I didn't do anything impure, and I didn't. I didn't. Did not attempt to deceive anyone. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man but to please God who tests our heart. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is our witness. So he's saying, you know us. And we didn't come there uh, and, and try to bilk you guys out of money. We, and he'll go on here in just a little bit and talk about how he didn't take any money. And he's glad he didn't. Because... Um, in other places he did in other places they did support him but here he did not the purity that Paul's talking about here um, the, the no deceit the uncleanness, the guile in his men, the, very, the first century world Paul lived in, there were many competing religions, now remember where Thessalonica is Thessalonica is in the Roman world Thessalonica is a crossroads it's in a place where everybody's trading in all different directions going from east to west, north to south and, and every point in between. And so with them, you know, with that kind of a hub of, of activity, you also get every kind of scoundrel coming along too. And so it's a, it's a, uh, a, a metropolis uh, of that day. And so, and even at that time, there's all kinds of religions coming and going. There's people coming and going all the time. So in this city, we, they would have had Apollo worship, Athena worship, Hercules um, they would have been celebrating Dionysus and the sex and drinking cult. The Greek intellectual and philosophical traditions were also representative. Um, there were also many shrines to the Egyptian gods, Isis, Serapis, Anubis. Um, also present were the Roman state cults that deified the political heroes of Rome. There were also many Jewish people and God-fearing Gentiles. So everybody was there. Everybody was there and everybody had a message. Uh, and everybody had a, had a story to tell. Most of these, re- these religions were missionary-minded. So they were looking for converts. So here you have, so here's the stage. They're in Thessalonica. It's the crossroads of Rome. It's the crossroads of the known world. And you have everybody coming and going through there, including all of the world's religions. And everybody's vying for disciples and money. How cool would it be to have a time machine and be able just to go back and see that? <laughs> that's, one, that's one of the uh, channels in heaven, the, the cable channels in heaven. I'll be there. <laughs> the history channel. Will, we will really be the history channel. <laughs> yep, exactly. So most of these were missionary, uh, were opportunists. Our opportunists, um, they took um, they took everything they could from their listeners and then moved on. We know that from other historical evidence. Not obviously, he doesn't say it here, but what he's saying is, hey, I didn't come to you guys and fleece you. I didn't come here and looking for anything. Now, what he said exactly is, he never came. He said, we never came with words of flattery, as you know 
with nor with pretext or greed. They did not come. They came with one purpose and one purpose only, and that was to preach the gospel. But what these these this other group, this um, group that ran them out of town, followed them to the next town. What they were, they went back and started saying, "Hey, these guys are just like all the other missionaries." These, you know, they just came here for your money. They just came here to, 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 use you, to use you and abuse you. And Paul is saying, absolutely not. That is not what this is about. Would Berea have been a city similar? Yeah. That way? Same area. Yeah, it's, I think they said, somebody said, was it, I think it was even in this class last week, that Berea was maybe only a day's walk. Yeah, and then yeah, I was looking at it again. And, and then from Berea, Corinth is only about a day's walk. Mm-hmm. So there's there's not a whole lot of. But I just mean, in terms of that level of activity, I would imagine, yeah, I, and I would imagine that whole area because it is where it is, you know, because it's it's Greece and all the shipping lanes. I mean, all the shipping ports and all the lanes, all the 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 travel and all. I think you know that's what was so perfect about the gospel coming when it did was that you know a. However long it took them took them to travel from Israel to to these places, now they're in the center of everybody going in all directions. So when they preach the gospel, they're literally preaching gospel to the whole world. The day's uh, walks about what thirteen to fifteen miles, like that. Possibly, yeah. I don't, I don't know. It could be. So you know, you're you're within a month of just having to you know of, of walking there, you know, from from Israel up to up to Greece. So, I've never been there, but it'd be fun. So, that's what he's defending himself against. Uh, Daryl, can you lift that window up just a little bit more? This afternoon, there was a gale force wind coming through there, and everything was getting blown off my desk. But tonight, uh-huh. yep, please. It's getting warm in here. <laughs> Everybody is still in their winter mode and uh, generating heat. <laughs> All right. There was probably, there has probably never been such a variety of religious cults and philosophical systems as in Paul's day. Holy men of all creeds, countries, popular philosophers, magicians, astrologers, crackpots, and cranks. We got those today, though. That's a lot. He had no monopoly on them back then. The sincere and the spurious, the righteous and the rogue, swindlers and saints, jostled and clamored for the attention of the believing and the skeptical. So, commentators back in uh, in verse three or in um, three, he talks about for our appeal does not spring from error or impurity. The word impurity, and, and that's why uh, I wanted to to highlight this. Paul defended himself against this as as uh, was an uncleanness of spirit or an uncleanness of flesh. It was not an accusation against his moral character. It wasn't that he was being impure that way. What they were what they were accusing him of was having wrong motives. That he was there for the for the money. He was there for for the notoriety. He was not there for pure motives, which would be for the people. The context seemed to suggest more of an uncleanness of motive or spirit, while the word itself uh, more indicates moral and especially sexual uncleanness. That's what that word means. But in this context, they're talking about their, their, it's his, his uh, motivation is what they're challenging. All right. Verse 6. 
nor do we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ, but we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So here he's talking, here's where he, he lays it all out. I'm not seeking glory. I didn't come here for wrong motives. I didn't come here. I didn't go there to preach uh, for for glory. I didn't go there to preach um, for to receive anything from you. He says. He says. Uh, I. He says. He didn't. He didn't request anything, though he could have. He could have made demands as a an apostle of Christ. The word talks about that. Don't muzzle the ox. Most of my pastor friends don't like that verse. You know, every time I say the Bible says, "Don't muzzle the ox," and they say, "Are you calling us my ox?" And yeah, yes, 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 I am. That that <laughs> preachers make money from the gospel. That's that's fully acceptable. Old Testament, New Testament. It's okay for a pastor to receive a salary for people that that work in the ministry to receive a salary. But Paul is saying here. He says, "I could have asked for that. I could have demanded that." But he says, "That's not what I came there for." Uh, and he says, I didn't ask you. I, you know, others have. I didn't. So he says, right there. He says, if, if you had any accusation, if you wanted proof, right there's the proof. I'm not there for the money. He never asked for anything. He, who else did he say that to? One of the other letters he wrote said that he, did, he never asked for anything. Was it the Corinthians? I don't remember now. That's a, 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 a homework assignment for the future is uh, what was it? there was another letter where he said they go I didn't ask for any money yeah and that's where he worked as probably was probably or was it Ephesus where he worked as a as a tent maker and didn't ask for money all right so Paul ministered among the Thessalonians he was concerned for his for he was unconcerned for his personal glory he didn't need fancy introductions or lavish praise his satisfaction came from his relationship with Christ, not from the praise of people. Paul didn't seek glory from men because his needs for security and acceptance were met primarily in Jesus. This meant that he didn't spend his life trying to seek and earn the acceptance of man. His ministry, uh, he ministered from an understanding of his identity in Christ. That is one of the main problems I see in the church today in the church universal is motivations of why people do what they do Um, if it's about notoriety it's the wrong reason if it's about fame wrong reason, if it's about money wrong reason, I mean it is nice to have a living wage, it really is but there are some where it's all about the money and just, just like our politicians you know, bringing into it for careers. That's not, it was never designed for that. Same, kind of the same concept. Mm-hmm. And the gospel's never about that. Whenever I, whenever I see someone where it, it, their actions, and I'm not just saying my perception of who they are or what they're like, but when their actions are clearly this is about the money, that's scary. I, I, I pray for them because they're going to stand before God someday. And uh, there's there's been things over the years that I've I've seen I've 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 watched people, and when it was about the money, they never lasted. They just don't. Um, they they God does not bless charlatans and 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 con men. 
he doesn't and and they will pay for it one day or another and it's it's very scary to to put themselves for people to put themselves into that position but Paul clearly is that's not why he's there he's making that all right verse 8 so being affectionately desirous of you, we are ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. Uh, the sacrifices Paul endured for the sake of the ministry to the Thessalonians were not a burden. He was very pleased to do it, because Paul was affectionately longing for the Thessalonians, because they had become dear to Paul and his associates affectionately desires to is a is an interesting word um it's actually uh, a rare verb an obscure from an uh, obscure origin Wolberg, this is a, a theologian said that a term of endearment derived from the language of the nursery so when he said earlier up in verse seven we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children and then he says, being affectionately desirous of you, that phrase would have been, would have, those two phrases work together. They're, 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 they're not uh, divorced from each other. They, they, are, they, they, they flow together. And it, the picture is of a mother with her child in a nursery and how that mother loves her child. That's how Paul is saying, that's how I feel about you guys. You're my children. You're you're the you're my children. You're you're my child that I love. Uh, 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 exact words, <clears throat> affectionately desirous. Uh, that feeling of a parent that can you can only have for your own kid. You just look at your kid and, and there's just oh no matter how annoying they are, you just oh that's my kid. That's that's my child, and you will do anything. For that child, and part of part of that motherly instinct too is very protective. Mm-hmm. Exactly, and that's why he fight, he's fighting so hard here um, for them mm-hmm. is because it's like that that mother bear uh, instinct. Um, exactly, well, especially if they're having a field of accusations against Paul. I mean, he's mm-hmm. going to want to bear the brunt of that himself, and so that's why he, he's standing up for himself. So mm-hmm. that they don't have to flounder in the attempt to defend him. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a passage in, I can't remember exactly where it's at, where Aaron's, the sons of Aaron, are God refers to them as Moses' sons. And the sages said that they troubled with it for a long time and they figured out that it was because Moses was teaching them God's law was the reason that they were considered his children. Mm-hmm. Almost because he was teaching them. And I wonder if that's what Paul is uh, getting at here, because he's teaching them, you know, God's law, and he cons- considers them his literal children. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. that's the way they made it sound like with uh, Moses or Aaron's sons, literally being Moses' sons. Yep, yep. He, and he, he, you know, Paul wants to make it very clear that he is invested in them. He's he's emotionally and and physically, and he. This, this is a relationship that's going to go on. Even though I'm not here. I only, was only there for three weeks. I'm in. And, and I'm in like this with that motherly you know, protection. You know, it, <laughs> we, we deal with people all the time. And there's something we've noticed that you don't mess with somebody's children. 
you don't ever mess with somebody's children. It doesn't, you know, the mother or the father, especially the mother, will tear your eyes out. I mean, it's just, you don't mess with somebody else's, you know, you don't mess with my kids, you know, or, or the, you know, uh, so you don't mess with people's children. And that's what Paul is saying here. They're messing with my kids. They're, they're, they're pushing buttons. They're making them have to defend themselves when they have no, they have no reason to. These guys, that he says, every, all of our, all of our, uh, um, intentions, all of our motivations were pure. In this situation, we shouldn't have to be defending. You, should, you, the the children, you know, the people in Thessalonica, Thessalonica, shouldn't have to be defending yourselves. All right, verse nine. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. So here's here's where he talks about that he did not receive anything from them. They worked. Whenever they weren't preaching the gospel, they worked physically and they made money. They didn't have to, or they did, he did not ask them. He did not want to be a burden to any of them. He was only there for three weeks. You know, it wasn't like he was there protracted. Like, like in Ephesus, he had to get a job because, you know. But in even while he was here, he didn't ask them for anything. He worked um, at the same time as he was preaching. So Paul recognized his right to be supported by those in the ministry. Somebody turn to First Corinthians chapter nine, verse fourteen. First Corinthians nine. 14. If you could read that for me, please. And King James, it says, Even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. Right. So Paul knew that that is that's his, his uh, uh, ministerial right, but he didn't use it in this case. Um, and, and to some people's credit and, and, and I, I pointed out the other side where it's all about the money there are also ministers who God leaves them to write a book they they you know make money some other ways and they don't even receive a, a, a salary from the church they say you know what I, I've got enough money it is this isn't about money and they work for the church they're the pastor of the church but they don't need to receive an offering well praise God that's that's cool too they're, that's commendable that that they make that that distinction of you know, that's my goal. Someday I will be independently wealthy and uh, the church doesn't have to pay me a salary. But if it's about the money, then it's wrong. If that's the only reason, you know, and, and like we always say, if it's if you're here for the money, you're here for the wrong reason. It's, it's, you know. well, the flip side of that is if you're there for the bragging rights of, I didn't take a dime from you, that's not right either. Right. It's That's the false pride side of it. Yep. yep. Exactly. All right. So, Paul denied his rights and took a higher standard upon himself. For that three-week period, it, was, it wasn't it was six months. If it was six months, it would have been different. I, you so know. you're saying Adam might have had three weeks. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> he might have had three, three good weeks there where he actually you know held it together. But his wife wasn't there, so it was easier. All right. All right. So, there can be no doubt that there was some worthy and particular motive which induced him to refrain from claiming his rights for in other churches he exercised the privilege according to him as others had done <clears throat> that's what Calvin had said he did is he for for some reason he didn't well 
it plays out where it was a good thing he didn't because now he can write and say, hey, I didn't ask for any money when I was there. This is what we're on the up and up. Was Paul married? Lots of discussion. Um, I come down on the side that he probably was. At one point, he was. We don't know what happened to his wife. The reason I say yes, and it's not because I know anything, is because I've read people who know stuff. And they say that to be in the position that he was uh, within the, the Jewish, the, the Pharisee of a Pharisee and, and all these things, mm-hmm. he had to be married. That was They it. had to be married to be a Pharisee? Well, they had to, to be a leader within the community, you, had to be, you, you have to be married. You can't be really? single, right? Am I right, or is that... I would think so because no, you're right. one of the laws say you have, you, know, you have to be able to manage your own household. Right. So I would think so. So within that system, study under Gamaliel. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. So so within that system, that was a requirement. So that's why people say yes, he was married at one point. What happened to her? Nobody knows. It's not written anywhere. There's no. There's not even. Nobody has any idea. Speculation. One is she died. That's possible. Um, you would think that that would be mentioned though at some point. I don't know. What probably happened was when he got saved and became a Christian, she left him, and that is a very real possibility because he never says a word about it ever, mm-hmm. and. And it, you know that, that would be love taking that higher road and saying I'm not gonna I'm not gonna defame her I'm not going to you know for her choice and he just he just moved on then and so he was then not married so the whole time he was in ministry he was never married and he'd be considered dead once he got saved right once he accepted Christ yep. anybody who cared about him he'd have been dead so then how did she well, <clears throat> I mean, how did she continue living without having him to... Well, family, yeah. whatever. I mean, if he, Back to her father's house. If he, would have been con- if he would have been considered dead, she could have remarried. Yeah. You know, when they, when they rejected him as, as a Jew, rejected him as everything, then he's dead to them, so then she could remarry. Mm-hmm. But he talks about how, you know, are we the only ones who don't have wives? And he, I think he was talking about he and... and uh, Barnabas, and or it was Silas. I don't know which one is. It's another another place in the New Testament. But he says all the other apostles have wives, and they traveled with them. So Peter, James, John, all of them had had believing wives, and you know. So it was another place where he was where he was defending himself against people who saying, "Oh, well, you're not dedicated enough." And he's like, uh, "I didn't get married." You know, I lost. You know, what, and he doesn't say I lost my wife, but that is a that's a very real possibility. But we don't know for sure. The verse that I found was uh, Numbers chapter three. Commentary goes: It's uh, these are descendants of Moses and Aaron, but only the names of Aaron's sons are mentioned because uh, Moses was teaching them the scriptures. And it says this teaches us that whoever teaches the scriptures. To the sons of his fellow man, Scripture regards it as if he had begotten them. Hmm. Cool. All right. Verse 10. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless 
was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So his first uh, justification was his actions. What he did, why he did it, his his uh, motivations behind it—that was his first course of of justification. Now he's moving to what he preached. So he's saying, "Now remember, guys, this is what I preached to you." You know, he's, he didn't preach to them. You're going to get saved if you all give me twenty five percent of your money, you know, or which people did and still do those kind of crazy things. Uh, I know a man who uh, when he got Saved? Well, I shouldn't even say that. He was going to church and he was reading his Bible and he asked the pastor, um, it talks about in here about being born again. What is that supposed to mean? And the, and the pastor told him, don't you worry about that. You just keep serving me in this church and keep giving and I'll make sure you get into heaven. That was It was a, an evangelical minister. So, I mean, there there are still goofy things. I mean scary goofy things that go on out there so but here paul is saying he's saying you know what i preached how holy righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers Um, we exhorted each of you each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of god (laughs) by by telling somebody to or by charging or exhorting someone to walk in a manner worthy of God does not win you friends. That is not the message. If you want to make lots of money, holiness is not the message that you want to preach. There's a lot of other messages you can preach. That in, that isn't the one. So if that's what pre, what Paul was preaching, he was doing it for the right reasons. Do we ever um, know how much the Catholic Church was charging for? What is it, Indulgences. Yeah, when the when Luther about that time. There was there was specific amounts. I've seen them in the past. I don't know what they are right off the top of my head. When I was a young girl, they were still. I paid indulgences. Really? Yeah. You grew up Catholic? Yeah, you didn't know that. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. When I became a Christian. She escaped. <laughs> yeah, and then then it turned to calling them penance. And it got away from money because that was bad. It didn't work out as well as they had hoped. And but then it was still you have to do this many things or we yeah. own prayers or whatever it, was it is. A chart um, that showed that I'd gotten a hold of that showed if you said this prayer, you got these many days off of um, of uh, purgatory. Well, I went through the chart and being a logical person, even as a young girl. I was like, wow, saying the sign of the cross with holy water gets you the most off in the least amount of time. (laughs) So I went over to the holy water fountain and really fast, so fast that I had a red mark on my forehead. And one day the priest caught me at it. And he says, so you're the one who's using up all the holy water. (laughs) And I told him why, and he just smiled and said he thought I had enough days off purgatory to last me a good long time. You don't have to do it anymore. <laughs> and that's that's all you need. You know, you just want to go right in. You don't want to mess around with the in between. Do not collect two hundred dollars. Carrying over vacation days. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> exactly. 
Exactly. <laughs> All right. Before we get too far off, yeah. Uh, going back books to First Corinthians about Paul being married. Mm-hmm. Read chapter seven when you have time, and just read that chapter thinking, was Paul married? Because there he's talking about uh, wh- whether you should get married or not. Is that the I'll read the very first one? Now for the matters of now for the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to marry. Right. Yeah. <laughs> just right, and then the the whole rest of it. I mean, it's a good two pages here in my Bible. It it's interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, that's why a lot of them think he wasn't married because of that. <clears throat> well, I think he was because of that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because she left him. Yep. And he was like, if I would have been better off if I hadn't married her, mm-hmm. then she would have been better off. Mm-hmm. I'm in that category. I think that it shows that he was married. Oh, that that it's yeah, better not to yeah, marry. <laughs> I was I was watching because I thought this is going to be good. <laughs> when is the wedding? I thought you were off the hook, but she said. <laughs> yeah. I was kind of waiting for it. I'm like, all right, is he going to correct and define what he's saying right now? He better correct and define what he's about to say. But I was to say that if um, you know the unbelieving spouse leaves, you're free. Exactly. You know, and and that's. You know, and so he probably felt he was free. She she decided to leave. She didn't want to be so. But he then never married again. Yeah. So mm-hmm. that was his conviction, and and so on and so forth. So, um, you know, after twenty seven years of marriage, twenty six. Twenty six. This will. We're in the, our twenty seventh year. You know, we, we we joke with each other about you know this would have been easier to be uh, to walk our walk with God had we not gotten married. But at the same time, praise God, we, I am married because I would be a different person than I, you know, than I am today, and I would not relate to people as well as I do with having a wife, having to deal with uh, having to deal with interpersonal stuff, and having to deal with children. Yeah, you'd be get, more selfish. Absolutely, and 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 I would be a lot less understanding of people's lives. What, what they deal with because hey you know why why aren't you more dedicated why isn't everybody here twenty four seven you know well we have lives you know you have families you have you have things that you have to do it, it just it so I agree with Paul I get what he was saying I don't fully agree with him though and I don't know that that is a you know, and there have been people theologians guys who are smarter than me who have said that probably was part was his opinion. It wasn't a "thus saith the Lord" that that he was saying it's better not to marry because we don't see it anywhere else. We don't hear Jesus saying "don't marry." He says, "When you do get married, this is this is why it says, you know." So if if Jesus wanted to to, to make that a a, a a center point of Christianity, he would have preached it, and he didn't. Is this where the Catholics get the reason why folks can't marry them? I bl- no, that came from a different uh, a different deal. Is that from some added parts? It's it's beyond everything. There's no okay. scripture whatsoever. Okay. That, I mean, they they may take some scripture then and say we should do this. The yeah. reason that they don't that they stopped allowing priests to marry because in the first few centuries they did marry. Okay. But as time went on and the Catholic Church got more and more wealthy. Because people would give 
uh, things, or they would, you know, they would sell things, or you know, whatever. But the church began to get more and more and more land, and so they actually had huge tracts of land that the Catholic Church owned. And the person who who had jurisdiction over that land in that area was the priest of that local church, and so they made the choices who farmed it who farmed what when they could do this when they could do that the priest made those decisions because it was the church's land so farmers landowner or other farmers wealthy landowners would have their sons become priests because then they wouldn't be the ones who make the decision on who gets to use the land and how they get to use it and so it became a a system where if you you know you wanted your child your son to be a priest so they were going into the priesthood for the wrong reason and the church realized that after after a number of years they realized wait a second we're out of control here so okay we got we have to stop this system of of uh, nepotism basically kind of almost like a reverse nepotism because they're putting their sons into the priesthood only so they could control the land. Well, they weren't. Some of them weren't even believers, and so they said, "Okay, we're going to stop that. We're going to we're going to um, cause you." And the the priests, many of the priests were rich because they would rent out the land and so on and so forth. So that's where the vow of poverty came in. That's where the vow of of uh, celibacy came in. Was they said, "Okay, if you want to be a priest and you really want to be a priest, you have to be celibate the rest of your life." So it became a it became a fix. Of a of a of a uh, excess that was going on in the church in about the third or fourth century, I don't remember exactly the dates now, but it was it was about that time. And so then from that on, and then then they took it to the extreme. Then they took it to to you know celibacy celibacy because it's holy rather than celibacy because they were fixing a, an excess. Um, uh, Poverty, vows of poverty, because not, you know, because that's holy. Poverty is holy, not because of what they really did it for. Was we don't want you to, you know, I mean, what what uh, rich landowner son is going to go? Oh, I'll be a priest and I and I'll be celibate and poor the rest of my life. They went, forget it, skip you. So then, only people who were truly felt led to do it then became priests. The church still flourished, though, because if you look at all those big cathedrals and stuff that were oh, built yeah. in Europe, yeah. that Catholic church still flourished even after. Yep, yep. And because there were definitely devout people. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I, I look at Catholicism and were there excesses and were there all kinds of, of things that went on and still go on? Yes, absolutely. But there were definitely people within that mm-hmm. organization that loved God. And they, they were devout people who, who cared and, and wanted the the church to, to flourish and, and it still did absolutely and goes that saying you know, the absolute power corrupts absolutely <laughs> yeah exactly one that I forgot about this you know one of the one of the commandments for Jewish commandments is to be fruitful and multiply mm-hmm. so and then they considered two children as fulfilling the commandment really so, I don't know when the two children thing came about but uh, the last time I studied it that's what it was hmm. so, interesting I'd never heard that. Alrighty. Verse 13. 
And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of man, but as it really is the word of God, which is at work in your in you believers. So Paul is basically saying, I didn't come here with my own words. And he said that in Corinthians too. He says, I didn't come with wise and persuasive words. Why? Because that, that same lie was being spread everywhere he went then after that. These, these same guys or the same kind of people would come and say, um, you know, Paul's just doing this for his own glory. He's only doing it for the money. He's doing it, you know, he's, he's, he's got fancy words. No, what he's saying is, I just, all I did was I t- told you that the word of God and the word of God is not the word of man. When And you received it as the word of God, when you heard it from us. And so in, and you accepted it not as the word of men, but as it really is the word of God. He was clarifying that he didn't just come there and give them a, a, a line of smoke and, and, and received an offering and moved on to the next town. Um, and uh, have you ever seen the movie Leap of Faith with, uh, with uh, Steve Martin? In it, yes, where and he's he, roving. He's a traveling evangelist. Yeah, evangelist. <laughs> yep, he's a traveling evangelist, and he is a he's a con man. The whole thing is a con, and one of the things that he says because the sheriff comes and says, "I know what you're doing," and Steve Martin and his character says, "He goes, they just want a show. They're bored. I give them a show. I charge them to come into the show. What's the big problem?" Well, that's what was happening. These, these in, in this area, people would come in, they'd give them the show, whatever the show was, and they'd receive money. Paul's saying, that's not what we did here. This wasn't a, this wasn't a, a, a carefully designed act. This wasn't a, a man-made man, you know, this wasn't a, a show. This is the Word of God, and you received it as the Word of God, and you know, you, you, you experienced the power. He said the same things to the Corinthians. I don't come with a bunch of wise words, of flowery words. I come with power. There's something different here. And so um, it, was a, it was an accusation he was having to deal with all over the place, and this was obviously one of the first places. This is the first letter that he wrote. I don't know if this has any bearing, but... You, have you seen the, the, the History Channel shows where back in this day they've made machines and things to fool and trick people? Mm, I don't know. I don't think so. Okay. They they made elaborate machines. I wonder if that's part of... Well, they're, the they're show, magicians. The they're, yeah, I mean, there was magicians. There was all kinds of things. Fortune tellers. All kinds of stuff going on yeah, that was claiming this, claiming that. Yeah, yeah they'd have like talking robots or something. I don't know. Never mind. I forget I said it. <laughs> Strike that from the audio record. <laughs> yes. I'll, sure, sure he will. Yeah, yeah. I'll mention it to the jury. The we disregard the uh, statement from no about the talking robots. <laughs> exactly. So he earned, Paul earnestly taught, uh, believed, and taught others that the God had spoken to man, and that we had His recorded word. Paul believed in a voice that speaks to mankind with the authority of eternity. Believers were mere and or authority of, of eternity and speaks above human opinion. Since we do have this word of God, we have a true voice of authority. People today still say that the word of God is our own opinion. Well, however you interpret it, that's your own opinion. No, it's not. It's scripture interprets scripture. There is, and as we've talked about over the last few months, is a perfect example of that. 
there is a way to, to study scripture that we can tell that it's it's the big fancy six six and a half dollar word exegetically correct. It is a it is a true representation of what God meant to say, and and we can understand what His perfect will is from that written word and from from the the word of God that He has given us. Paul is saying, "Hey guys, this is real stuff. We're not messing around here." Verse fourteen. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets, and drove us out, and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins. For, but wrath has come upon them at last. So, he's telling the Thessalonians, hey, you guys are in. You're a part of the church because you're suffering persecution. All the other churches have suffered persecution. You've suffered persecution. We're all, we're all in this together. And um, in that, that's, that's, you're doing the right things. If we're suffering, you're doing the right things. If you don't suffer, then maybe you're not. Maybe you're not, um, exp- not not living the fullness of that, you know. And I don't mean floggings and driven out of your homes. Just even people saying the things that they say, you know, like this guy last week. Oh, you're just a literalist, you know. No, I'm not. I'm I'm a believer. <laughs> you know, I I've read the word. I know what it says, and what they're saying is not true. It is not true, and uh, you, well, that's your own opinion. I mean, I I heard that argument last week. So the Thessalonians. You say it's God's opinion. You can disagree with them if you want. No skin off my nose. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Our our job is not necessarily to convince people. Our job is just to tell them, and and it's the Holy Spirit who does the work in them, and they still have a choice. Sad to say. The Thessalonians willingly suffered the same things because they were convinced that Paul brought them not the word of God, the, not the word of man, but the word of God. The word of man isn't worth suffering for, but a true message from God is worth it. We actually see that all the way through history, that there are people who get saved just by watching Christians suffer. Because if this was just a man-made deal, why would people die for it? Why would they give up their homes? Why would they suffer in any way? Why would we suffer? Why, why would we do what we do if this isn't real? I'm going to be honest. If this wasn't real, I wouldn't be here. If it wasn't real, how come it's lasted so long? Exactly. And so just people watching that go, there's something to this. There's something to, you know, people would get saved watching Christians die in the, in the Colosseum. Because they would go, they're, they're, not do, they're not trying to fight back. They're not trying to do anything. They are willingly going to their deaths. They believe that what they're saying is true. I need to check into this. And people would get saved watching the, the arena. Like the, oh, I'm sorry, for oh, Other religions have stuck around for a long time, but not in the face of persecution. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there'd be little things here or there, but, I mean, Judaism and Christianity, it's been persecuted right from the beginning all along. Yep, yep, amen. The guard... You know the guard uh, that was guarding Paul when the, you know, the gates were open, the doors were open. 
you know, he and his whole household got saved. You know why the guard was chained to Paul, right? I'm sorry? You know, do you know why that guard was chained to Paul? So the guard couldn't get away. He was a captive <laughs> audience. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. And... No. What was that? Was that outside. Was it? I was like, it sounded like it came from over here. I'm like, what are you I doing? Thought it was, I thought it was death. Yeah, I did too. I thought it was death. I was like, what are you doing over here? All right. <laughs> last but certainly not least, the last section here. Verse 17. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. Because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our, what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his company? Coming, is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. So Paul is saying that he wanted to come back to them because they were wondering, why haven't you come back? You were there three weeks. You haven't been back since. Why aren't you coming back? And Paul is saying, I wanted to. My plan was to come back, but he says, Satan hindered me. And um, Paul assured the Thessalonians he desired to be with them, but it was Satan specifically that was keeping him from it. Um, Paul understood that this was a satanic hindrance. He knew this was not a random circumstance, but a direct attack from Satan. If Satan could keep them separated and they were on their own to try to figure this out, very likely they could fall apart. To their glory, they didn't. He wrote them a letter encouraging them. They held it together. The church grew. It kept growing even beyond this this opportunity, this time in ministry. And there are, you know, there's still believers in that area and, and were influenced in that area for centuries to come. Thessalonica is not one of the seven churches mentioned in Revelation, is it? I do not believe so. Yeah, I didn't think so. I thought that'd be kind of cool if it, I know there's one that Christ talks about positively. That would be that, Philadelphia. Yeah. That was one of them. Okay. That'd be Maybe. cool if it was, you know, if it was this one since he says, you know, our crown, our joy. Mm-hmm. We boast about you. Yep. And. Finally, God brought the victory, Acts 20. Someone turn to Acts chapter 20. What verse? Verses 1 through 5. Acts 21. After, after the Fuhrer died, died down, Paul sent for the disciples and encouraged them, then took his leave and set out on his way to Macedonia. 1 through 5. He went through that area and, after saying much to encourage them, passed on to Greece, where he spent three months. As he was preparing to set sail for Syria, he discovered a plot against him by the unbelieving Jews. So he changed his mind and decided to return by way of Macedonia. Sapater from Berea, the son of Pyrrhus, accompanied him, as did Aristarchus and Secundus from Thessalonica, uh, Gaius from Derby, Timothy, and Titus. Names are always fun. Yeah. Just go some some guys. Some guys. Yeah, a bunch of guys followed him. 
from the town of Asia. These men went on and waited for us in Troas. And so here, that verse describes he did go back to Thessalonica. So he was telling them, I want to get there. I'm going to get there as soon as I can right now. He says, I'm being attacked. I can't make it. But he says, I will. In Acts chapter 20, he does go back through there. Spends three months in the area. You know, how much time did he spend at each place? We don't know. But he did spend a, a period of time there uh, in between his journeys as he's traveling. All right. Thoughts? Any thoughts before we... So I'm going to open it up after all of this, if there's no other thoughts, for questions about almost anything. And I know you had one, and I'm really sorry. I felt so bad after Sunday morning. No, I didn't answer it. Did I? Okay. And um, she answered it too. Good. Good, good. I was I was running to the church Sunday morning because I had to drop some things off in the sound booth and then get back in my truck and drive up to Grandy and ran into Justin and he wanted to ask a question. I said, you have one second. And, but we talked a little bit. It was about Calvinists believing in the elect. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Diane explained it to me. What you, what'd you say? I don't really remember. <laughs> to tell you the truth, that was Sunday. Yeah, yeah. about 144,000. Yeah, but it was basically like, if there is, like, I was trying to disprove it, basically, in my mind. And the way I disproved it in my mind is, how could the church possibly grow? Why would anybody want to, you know, be a Calvinist? Kind of like Mormons, too. There's yeah. only a certain number that's getting in. Jehovah's Witnesses. Yeah, Jehovah's Witnesses. You mean Calvinists? No, Calvinists don't believe that only 144,000. No, they don't believe that there's only 144,000, but they only believe the elect. That there is a group of people called the elect that get in, and the rest don't. And But you don't know if you're an elect until you get there. Unless you have secret knowledge. But see, and that's, <laughs> see, isn't that, that that dangerously flirts with that, doesn't it? Well, I had a real good friend, and I was with him on his deathbed, and I understood why he was a very strict Calvinist, but, um, you know, because he had been adopted twice, and it had been given, put back into the foster system. And so here he was, 42 years old, and died, and he was a very good Christian. I knew he was headed, you know, to heaven, but he still wasn't sure because of Calvinism. And he hung on and hung on. He was scared to die. Just, it was, really, it was so sad. Mm-hmm. No, aren't the hundred forty-four thousand um, from the Jewish tribe? Yeah. Yeah, that's Jehovah Witnesses think that only 144. Yeah, the Calvinists right. believe that. The, that's listed in Revelation. Right. Twelve thousand from each of the twelve, 12 tribes. Yeah. Or is it believe that those will be the ones who will evangelize the Jews? Yep, I think so. That's why I've always understood it. Oh, I was going to say I worked with a guy who he had all these crazy theories. Um, but his thing was he believed that there was the 144,000, but that they were going to go up in spaceship, mm-hmm. and the rest of the world was going to end. 
and they would go up to the spaceship. But don't worry about it, you're not one of them. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yep. He also had to have a special ring around anything he drank, so it would take out the, um, the poisonous particles. Everything. And the tinfoil hat that you have to wear at all times is another another. <laughs> I asked if we could wear the tinfoil hats and he would come in, and I was told no. I wanted to. Uh, I wanted to. Makes me think of Dukes of Hazard. No, that was the guy with the energy rock. Yeah, Dukes of Hazard. The guy always wore the turtles on his hat, turtle shells on his hat, so to keep the government out of his head. Who was that? Oh, I remember that. I don't remember, I don't remember his name. Was he eternal? Definitely. Was he eternal? Falls in the almost anything. I have a question. I don't know how to phrase this exactly, but I don't think this is the elector. They're not elected by any means, but I mean, there is something to being called into ministry or not. I don't think everyone is necessarily supposed to be a preacher. We're all supposed to be followers of Christ and to be willing to share the gospel and disciple people, but um, there seems to be some element of those who are chosen, in a sense, to be in full-time ministry and those who are not, or one form of it or another, I guess. The, the best explanation I've ever heard about that, and when I heard because I always kind of wondered the same thing. It's like, because I, I had heard for many years, well, you know, pastors, you know, there's there's all of us, and then there's pastors. Or then then there's prophets. And then there, you know, there's apostles. And there's all these, so, this higher ranking thing in it. The whole time I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, that does not sound right. Jesus washed everybody's feet. And he said, this is the way you're supposed to treat people. So when I would hear things like that, I was like, this does not make any sense. But then, then you read Paul, you read the New Testament, and you see that some are called to be a, a prophets, apostles, pastors, teachers, and evangelists. And, and there's these offices that it talks about. And, and it talks about how that a, a pastor or someone who, 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 um, uh, someone who is a pastor, is one of the fivefold, it, it should receive double honor. Well, what does that mean? You know, when you so when you hear those kinds of things, that's how people would would preach these. There's there that there is this higher level, but it never sat well with me. I was like, I don't get that. What does that mean? And I heard somebody explain it one time that the offices, the fivefold ministry, isn't a ranking. It's just an office. It's just, it's just a job. I you know I happen to get paid to do what I do because there has to be a leader. It doesn't matter what business or what, what anything that we do in the world, an army, a, a whatever, a, there has to be somebody who makes the decision, the final decision. Um, if, there's, if, it's, if there's two leaders, it's a, it's a two-headed monster because you're never going to agree and you're never going to really come to a good decision because there's too many things going on. So there has to be people who, who lead. But Jesus made it very clear that the um, the leaders are supposed to be the servants of everybody. So it isn't a ranking thing then, you know, an elect thing. Um, not everybody's going to be a prophet, apostle, pastor, teacher, or 
evangelist because not everybody's called to do that. Um, <clears throat> there are some people who are called to do that. Paul says those people are the fools. I, I saw that verse one day that he says we're, we're us apostles are we're like the fools at the end of the parade. You know the 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 ones who you know we're, we're refuse. He says we're refuse. We're this. It's the position is a is a it's an evangelist. Vern Norton. You guys heard Vern Norton preach this weekend. That guy's an evangelist. I don't care what you call. I don't care. He's not a pastor. <laughs> you know, uh, he's not a he's not a this. He's, but but in his office, in this called position, he has the authority and the gifting to lead other people in evangelism to show them. You know, that's why he and I just had lunch today and we're talking about, we're going to form some teams and he's going to start taking people out on the streets. And I know there's a lot of people that want to do that and and it's not everybody's called to that, but some people are. So, And, and everybody should experience it at least once. It's just a, it's an amazing experience to go with somebody who knows what they're doing and, and, and has the anointing to do it. And so that's, that's something he's called to full-time. And it's just, it just the way it is. Um, I happen to be called to being a pastor. But with that comes giftings and responsibilities. There's, there's certain... And higher judgment. <laughs> and a lot higher judgment. Yeah, absolutely. That's the scary yeah. part. You're held Thank way you. more responsible. Thank you so much for, for bringing that up. <laughs> reminding me about that. Yeah, <laughs> reminding me about that. Well, I, I know that, well, practically speaking, it has something to do with how much a person is willing to surrender to it. I mean, if someone is digging their heels in the ground, even if they were born to be a pastor, they're not going to do it. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you think each person... That there's one of the the five that if they were to do ministry that that they're really intended to be one of the five, or are there some that are none? I think there are people who are pastors and prophets who are doing those things that shouldn't be. I I don't believe that everyone is called to one of, to something and then they decide they they yield themselves to it more. I think that there are people who are called to it, and that's just the way it is. And it just and there's really no choice in the matter with it. You have a choice to do it or not. But if, if a person's not called to it, if they say, I want to be this, I know a guy. I know a guy who, ever since, ever, whenever, ever since he became a Christian, he wanted to be a pastor. And he's not supposed to be a pastor. But he just kept doing it. And he kept doing it, and he kept, kept working his way towards it, and he is now. I still don't think he's supposed to be a pastor, but I, I don't care. It's not no skin off my back because, you know, but I still don't, you know, and I told him, he asked me one time, he says, you know, now that I'm this, you know, he says, are you, are you excited for me? I said, no, I'm not. Sorry, man. <laughs> you know, because I don't, I don't see the gift. I don't see that in him, but that's, I'm also not his judge. So no, I, I don't think that everybody, that everybody could be, or maybe, I think if you are, you know it and you can't get away from it. Well, I guess my question in that situation would have been, is that guy supposed to be one of the other five? Or or be just a injustice. Yeah, that sounds bad. Well, I think that everybody's called to something. It may not be the fivefold ministry. Maybe you're called to be a plumber. Absolutely. I, you, you know, and I, I'll cover this up. The five is not what necessarily, is the a, it's not necessarily an exhaustive list. Well, we're all predestined that. for good works. Right. There was a girl in my youth group back when your girls were in the youth group. 
who came up to me at one time because I started talking about callings and I started, you know, and because you got a bunch of high school students and you and I you know, I wanted to prepare them to be thinking, okay, who am I supposed to be? What, what does God want me to be? And I talked about, you know, asking him, what do you want to be? What, what, what God, what do you want me to do? What, what path should I take? And I said, not everybody, because at the time, the church we were in, a lot of it that was being taught peripherally was, Every, you know, you need to be in full-time ministry. If you want to be a real Christian, you need to be in full-time ministry. And that wasn't true. It just wasn't true. And I said, here's the deal. You could be called to be whatever God has put in your heart to be called. This person, this girl, walks up to me, and I'll tell you her name afterwards, came up to me and started crying. And she said, you mean God may call me to be an accountant? Because I really want to be an accountant. I can't think of anything else I want to be other than an accountant. And I'm thinking, my goodness, you know, it must be a call because nobody would make that up. You know? <laughs> and she went to become an accountant. And she's, I'm trying to think of who became Well, I'll, I'll tell you after I turn, this, turn the sound off. But that's exactly an accountant, an a, 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 a engineer, a parent, a mother, a, a stay-at-home mom, whatever. You know, there are callings that people, that's who they're supposed to be. Um, and some people are called to be pastors and prophets, apostles, and so on and so forth. And if they don't, they can choose. You can walk away from it. I know another guy who, I mean, he was, he was, he lived a full life. He had a, he had a great family. He, he, uh, um, <coughs> loved the Lord. He, you know, he was just a guy. He just lived his whole life, but there was always something about him. And I, and I always wanted to ask him, were you called into the ministry and didn't do it? Because there was just something, he was sad. He was just always sad, and I didn't know why. And I always wanted, but I never, I could never work up the, the guts to, to ask him, were you called into the ministry and didn't do it? Um, I don't know. I guess I'll never know because he passed away, and I, and I won't ever know. I won't, I'll know in heaven, and then it won't matter. It doesn't matter at that point. But, you know, it's one of those things where you know, and, and it's something you can't, you can't see yourself doing anything other than that. If you can think, yeah, I could do something else, then you're probably not called to it. And it's just, you know, that kind of a deal. I think um, <clears throat> the thing that confused me when I was thought about things like that, callings and things, was, you know, how many people were there on the planet at that time? You know, when you look at the Bible, as far as the number of people that, you know, God specifically spoke to, and called it's it's a minute number compared to the number of people that were living just as it is today um, so I don't think you know we're all called to be to, to preach the gospel absolutely you know, like some are called in more public fashion and others like myself are you know in the workplace and and uh, at restaurants or someplace like that I, I knew a guy one of the one of the first uh, believers that I knew and was really really looked up to, um, and he was the Youth for Christ director in South Central Minnesota, and that's when I first became a Christian. I started going to a Bible study. I got introduced to him. He was the director of Youth for Christ, and the guy was good. I mean, he was good. He was, kids loved him. They flocked to the group. People were getting saved all over the place. He was spirit filled. Kids were getting filled with the Holy Ghost. He was good. And all of a sudden one day he quits. And it was really bothering me. And I, and I went to him and I said, man, I said, why did you quit? And he goes, 
because God told me to. I went, hmm? I don't get it. I don't, I don't get why God would. He says, I don't know either. All he says, I just know it's the voice of God and I'm going to obey him. I said, well, what are you going to do? And he goes, well, I got a job in a, in a factory. I was like, wait a second, man. I said, come on. I said, you're, you're obviously anointed to preach the gospel. You're obviously anointed to, to, to get people saved. Why would God tell you to quit that job and to go start working in a factory? Nothing wrong with working in a factory, but, you know, I mean, just like, what's going on here? And he looks at me, and his answer was absolutely priceless. He says, John, he says, I will do whatever God tells me to do. And he says, I just happen to be a factory worker now. Who, or He says, I am a born-again, full of the Spirit of God Christian who is cleverly disguised as a factory worker. <laughs> and what did he do? He went to the factory and started getting people saved. Is that a, is that a less of a calling? Absolutely not. You know, in our minds, it kind of goes tilt, but hey, if God said, okay, John, you're done doing this. You did You did everything I've asked you to do. You're, you fulfilled your time here. I want you to go do something else. I want you to go get a job at wherever. If I say no, what is that? You know, disobedience. That, that doesn't yeah, it's well, disobedience at that point. You wouldn't have the anointing. And... Why would you want to do it at that point? <laughs> exactly. So, you know, I don't believe that anybody here's job is in, in or position in life or opportunity is less important than what I do. I think it's I, to me. I actually think it's more important. You can see, you get to meet people and deal with people um, on a basis that I don't. They hear I'm a pastor. They're done. They're they, they're out. You know. I I have other. I have different opportunities now, and I have some really cool opportunities, but. Many times I go, you know, I wish I could. I wish that I didn't have the title. When people ask me what I do on airplanes, I don't tell them I'm pastors. I'm a pastor. You can tell them you're a public yes. speaker. I'm a public speaker. <laughs> I I work I, I work with uh, with with uh, underprivileged people in Europe. Uh, I I do all kinds of things. I don't tell them I'm a pastor because that just it ends the conversation and they they move, they move over to the window and uh, read start reading their book. What kind of public speaker? Well. I, the, <laughs> One of the cool ones I heard one time was uh, uh, Robin Roberts. Somebody asked him what he did. You know, he was on a plane flying to Europe, and they said, "So what do you do?" And he goes, "He says I, I deal in rare. Or he says I deal with um, I deal with antiquity, books of antiquity." He says I, I deal with in books of antiquity, and I thought that's a great because it's going to create it's going to be interesting. Well, what does that mean? And well, the Bible is about as old as you can get. That's one of the books of antiquity, so. Praise the Lord. All right, let's pray and we'll be done. Father, thank you. Lord, we thank you that it's this this really is absolutely 100% all about you. Father, I thank you that each one of us are your servant and Lord, your will be done. Your will be done in our life, your will be done in in the world around us. Father, I ask you that that through us, Lord, that each one of us will will truly be that spirit-filled, full of God individual who just happenly happens to be cleverly disguised as who we are and i pray father that that the message of jesus christ the true gospel will be preached for what it is the powerful word of god father thank you for what paul did thank you for what you've given us the ability to do and and i I pray father that wherever we go that your kingdom will be forcefully advanced every day We thank you for it, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.